Everybody doing good? Have a good week. First, you know, we're really getting underway. Uh, most, most of the kids are out of school. Parents already look a little crazy. You know. <clears throat> so, so we've been, we're talking in Galatians. We've been in our study in Galatians today. We want to talk about an uh, important verse that, that Paul says about God not being mocked. What does that mean? God's not mocked. <clears throat> you can't, uh, can't trick God. Right? I mean, wouldn't that make sense that you could, can't trick God? Uh, one of the things that Paul is, you know, this studying Galatians, what we're really getting a hold of is that Paul really is, this is a really well-rounded book of the Bible, Galatians, because he's dealing with some problems in, in the city of Galatia and in the area of that, the area of Galatia that he, where he has planted churches. So he's kind of sent this general letter because these Judaizers, which is, uh, Jews that have come from, from Jerusalem that are saying that Jesus is not enough. That if you want to be a follower of Christ, that you need to, you need to follow the law also. That what Christ did on the cross is not enough. Paul's very strong in saying that that's another gospel. That you can't be saved from the law. As a matter of fact, you can't be saved by doing both. It's, it's, uh, you can't say, well, I'm going to be saved by keeping the law and believing in Jesus. He's saying it's, it's, not, it's not a both. It's Either you're depending upon Christ to save you or, or you're depending on yourself to save you, which will not work. You can't save yourself. So he's trying to help them understand they've been saved by the good news, the gospel, which we call the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins. We couldn't die for our own sins. Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the dead and defeated death, hell, and the grave, so that we could receive salvation by the Spirit of God. So Galatians 2.16, he says this, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. So what he's saying, you can't keep the law and be saved. Galatians 2.21, I I do, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Because if we could attain righteousness through our behavior, then there was no need for Jesus to come. But Jesus came because we can't at- obtain righteousness by our behavior. So Paul didn't support the law as a way to find favor to God, but he also didn't support doing whatever you want. Whereas he didn't support the idea that I can come forward in church and I can say, I'm a Christian. I can call myself a Christian and act any way I like. Does that make sense? I mean, he's saying, okay, you you can't be saved by keeping the law, but salvation doesn't look like saying I'm a Christian and then living like I'm not. So he says it this way. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident which we've talked about, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissension, factions. So he's got sexual sins. He's got sins of the, of our, where, where we're, that we're struggling with, anger and jealousy. He's got relationship. We're, we're having trouble with discord and getting along with people. Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, which I forewarned you, just as I forewarned you that those who practice such, such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what's he saying? If you practice these things, you can't inherit the kingdom of God. 
Where's the kingdom of God? Well, it's here and it's eternal. So you could say, what, one of the things that he's saying is, you can't practice these things and go to heaven. Now, everybody does these things sometimes. So does that mean none of us are going to heaven? Well, I know I am. I'm a little worried about some of y'all. <laughs> so what's, what's the difference? Well, the difference is, as a Christian, see, if you're not a Christian, you do these things, there's no conscience by the Holy Spirit that what you're doing is wrong. There may be consequences, but you, you may not feel anything about it. But when you come to Christ, and the Spirit of Christ is in you, something's happened on the inside of you, you're different, you're led by the Spirit of God, and so since Christ has taken up residence in your heart, you know, we use this term, I ask Jesus into my heart, which is to say that we have been baptized by the Spirit of God into the body of Christ, and now we are in the family of God. So now something has happened that when we sin, because we do continue to sin, even though we don't have to. It's not like it's, it's a done deal that you've got to sin. But while we're in this flesh, we struggle with the flesh, we do sin. There's no excuse for it. It's not that we should. But when we do, the Holy Spirit convicts us. You know, if you were to come home and lie to your husband, lie to your wife, say, where were you today? Well, uh, you know, I just went to work and back. And you stopped and did something that they would not approve of. Then the Holy Spirit's going to say, that was a lie and you shouldn't have told that lie. You need to come clean on that. And you may, you know, try to ignore it, but the Holy Spirit's not going to let you go. The Holy Spirit will not let you go. That's one of the things, you know, before you come to Christ, you can sin and be kind of, it doesn't bother you, but when you come to Christ and you sin, you're going to know it every time. So the Holy Spirit convicts us so that we'll repent and change directions. As believers, we want instead to be led by the Spirit of God, not led by our flesh, but instead we want to be led by the Spirit of God and produce the fruit of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of, you, can, you know, it's like I'm really good at joy, but I'm not good at patience. I mean, we could go through the fruits of the Spirit and our personality, based on our personality, there's some things that you would be good at based on your personality and some things you wouldn't be good at. Like you might be really good at, at love, joy, and peace, but you're not patient. Or I could, there's some days I'm really good at patience, but I'm not good at love. Or some days I'm good at joy. It's, see, that's the fruit. Of, that's what we're doing in our own effort. But if we're going to walk by the Spirit, it's, the Spirit is working in all of those things. We have love, joy, peace, patience, faith. You know, we're all nine of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruits. It's not individual things we're working on. It's all of it. God, God wants us to manifest, which is this is the character of Christ. So God wants us by the power of the Spirit because you say, well, I can't do that. Right. We can't do it. We can't do it in our own flesh. We can't do it by working harder. You know, I'm going to be more patient. 
There's some, some things you can work up for a, a period of time. But the reality is, so we have to depend upon the Spirit of God. So we come to God in weakness, say, oh God, I'm, right now I'm so fearful. I'm so worried. I'm so anxious. I don't have any joy. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm worried about the future. I'm so impatient about your timing. God, I wish you would fix this today. You know, I know you're going to fix it, but why, you know, God, why not go ahead and solve it today? You know, God, why don't you align your timing to my timing? I understand why you want me to align my timing to yours like you're God or something, you know. But that's the way we are. For those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions. If we live by the Spirit, let us, let us also walk by the Spirit. This depending upon the Holy Spirit to produce this fruit in us. So then he says in Galatians 6, 7, don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. God is not mocked. Which is to say you can't, uh, <laughs> the term mocked is a, is a weird Greek word. It's kind of like, uh, don't thumb your nose at God. Don't, don't be flippant about what your relationship with God. Don't be deceived. God, God's not mocked. Whatever man sows, he'll also reap. For the man who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let's not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. I love what it says in the message. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds, but the one who plants in response to God, letting God's Spirit do the growth work in him, harvest a crop of real life, eternal life. Now, this reaping and sowing concept, what you sow you will reap, is the covenant that God made with Noah. You remember the whole uh, flood and wiping out everybody, and then after the flood, God said, I'm not going to I'm not going to destroy the world with flood anymore, and I'm making this covenant with you. He made the covenant with Noah, and this is what he says. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. It's going to get hot and cold, right? Is it going to get hot? Summer and winter, which is, this is, this is appropriate Texas prediction here. We don't actually have fall or spring. <laughs> we just have summer and winter. And day and night shall not cease. But there's only one of those that you and I have any power over. Seed time and harvest. I can't control the temperature. I can't control cold and heat. I can't control summer and winter. I certainly can't control day and night. You know, we can change our clocks, but it's actually still, the sun's still going down at the same time. Right? But I can control seed time and harvest. I can control the produce of my life. I can, I can control what I sow. And if I control what I sow, if I, if, if, if I'm, trusting God to help me when I sow 
then I'm going to trust to God to help me when I reap. And this principle applies to everybody. You don't have to be a Christian to get this, right? I mean, you don't have to be a Christian farmer to plant seed and get a harvest. So the principle is a divine principle, and there are, there are seven laws associated with this. I'm going to talk about a couple of them today. One is we can only reap what has been sown. We can only reap what has been sown. What we reap was planted. Nothing springs to life spontaneously. Of course, you know, that's how we, they believe that life somehow started on earth. Uh, is that it wasn't created by God, but somehow out of the primordial ooze, life spontaneously began and then evolved. And they've put a lot of energy and effort into this. And, you know, it seems to me that if life began spontaneously millions of years ago, that once you reached a point in time that life began, that the chemical makeup was correct for life to begin, that you would always see, once you got to a beginning point, you would always have that beginning point present. In other words, a million years ago, you would have a beginning point. 10,000 years ago, you would still have beginning points. In other words, that very beginning point would still be evident today because once it began to happen, it would keep happening. But, you know, I don't know. So, so we reap. We can reap only what has been sown. Nothing springs to life spontaneously, naturally. Everything naturally or purposely, either by God or man, for positive or negative effects. So everything that happens, happens because something's caused it to happen. We, on a positive note, we reap the benefit of God's love and sacrifice. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world to judge the world, but the world might be saved through him. We can only reap salvation because it was sowed by God the Father. Only way we can be saved, we can't save ourselves. We can't get ourselves in right relationship with God. We can't redeem ourselves. There was no way for us to even know God if God didn't initiate revealing Himself to us. So God initiated revealing Himself to us, and so we know Him. So now we become the benefits of this salvation because God sent His Son, Christ, to live in our place, live a sinless life, die in our place, and be raised from the dead. We reap the benefits of other people's labors. John 4, 38, Jesus said, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you've entered into their labor. We're, we're all beneficiaries of those that have gone before us and accomplished things for us. We stand here today because of the the sacrifice of men and women went before us. Those that were martyred uh, for their faith to fight for the corruption, uh, to fight the corruption of the gospel of Jesus Christ that was, that was destroying the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those that, those that died so that we could have a copy, a readable copy of the word of God. Those people were burned alive. So the people were destroyed for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
those who taught and preached and went, went to places at their own risk and at loss of life. Soldiers who have fought around the world to preserve our freedom with the cost of their own lives. Think about, you know, we had Memorial Day last week. Uh, all the men who died in World War II to stop uh, the Nazi and the Axis invasion. Uh, I mean, we lost more on... on <laughs> We lost more on one island in the Pacific than we lost in Vietnam. We lost more in a two-week period on Iwo Jima than we lost in Vietnam. You think, why did we have to put a sacrifice like that for Iwo How many of y'all have been to Iwo Jima? It's, it's a nothing place. It's not a tourist destination. But it was, a, it was an important target that had to be acquired. And, and so they sacrificed a lot of young men on that, on that island for freedom. Those who died in Korea and Vietnam, and you think, you know, and we always want to think, for why? Why? Why did they die? Because, I mean, the Korean conflict is not even over yet. It's still... We're still fighting the Korean conflict in a sense today. Well, because there was a, there was, communism was trying to march around the world. And I'm not sure, you know, I'm, I don't know if it was the right thing to do, but, but there were young men who went in obedience and old men that went and, and laid down their lives so that, so that, so that communism would realize those that were pushing communism, the Russians and ever, and China would realize there are those that are going to push back. Those who've died in Afghanistan and Iraq to stem the tide of Islamist terrorism. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure that was the best thing that we should have done. But we did it. And guys went and, went and sacrificed. Tremendous sacrifice. Not only the sacrifice of, of loss of life, but loss of limb. So, so there's a freedom. In other words, a, there's a battle that's been fought for our freedom. We didn't, we're, we're recipients of it. Dr. Martin Luther King, he, uh, he kept us from a nationwide race riot. We were on the precipice of a race war. And he really almost single-handedly turned the tide where it became not about violence but through nonviolent confrontation. And what those people suffered just to, <laughs> just on a bridge in Alabama just because they were against segregation. Those that have gone before to pay the price for us, volunteers who worked. Think about this. Think about the people who worked in your if you grew up in church, the people who loved you as a child and who went and did battle with the forces of darkness and worked in the kids' area. <laughs> and then, you know, as if they were, you know, supernatural, they worked with teenagers. You know, and I, I, as I look back over my youth and, and the things that I experienced and you know, I can't, I can't for the life of me remember any particular 
lesson that I was ever taught. There's nothing that stands out. And I think, boy, that was fan- that youth pastor had a fantastic word. It stayed with me my whole life. I don't remember it, but you know what I do remember? I remember that they loved Jesus and they loved me. And they were imperfect and like we are and like you are. And that, that, that I, I was a beneficiary of those who sacrificed for me. We stand on the shoulders of those that have gone before us. I mean, my parents, my grandparents. My dad grew up in a, in a tent in Big Spring, Texas with a dirt floor. My dad grew up in poverty. My mom grew up in and out of poverty. I mean, they grew up during the Depression. There was a lot of people in the South in poverty in the 20s, in the 30s. But, you know, I, ne- I never knew that. I never struggled with that. I never, wor- I never one time in my life thought, you know, Where's my next bologna sandwich coming from? Now, we ate bologna because ham was too expensive because that was the way they believed. It's not because they didn't want to because they, you know, they bought what they wanted to buy. But, you know, I don't know. This, this is back a long time ago. But when we took a road trip, we would stop and get a loaf of bread and a package of bologna. And some mustard. And that was, that's, you know, that was uh, lunch and supper. And then we would beg when we'd stop at the motel, please get it one with a pool, please. You know, but that was like two bucks more to stay at that place. But, but what benefit that the, the price that my grandparents and parents paid to, so that I could, you know, I could go to college the sacrifices that they made. We, in other words, we stand, we stand on the shoulders of those that have gone before us. We reap what we haven't sown. But there's a negative side of that too. That there's a negative side that we reap what we haven't sown. I mean, going on an airplane today, and before you get on that airplane, you're going to run through a line and, uh, and take off your shoes and your belt. You're going to have to take off your shoes because two guys seven, 17 years ago now two guys put a bomb in their shoe and tried to ignite it on the flight and it didn't work. It, did, it didn't happen. They, did not, they weren't successful. Thank, thank the Lord for that. They weren't successful but because of that when you go through an airport they're checking your shoes for explosives. Uh, and you know, it always seems unusual to me, you know, that you go through and you think, and here's like, here's like an 88 year old woman and they're really worried about her, you know, like they're, they've got her over to the side and they're patting her down, you know, like, so we suffer, you know, we, those lines are a result of other people's actions. We suffer because of that. Drunk drivers killed innocent people. People who, who are not at fault in any way. They're just driving down the road and somebody, somebody drunk got on the wrong side of the road and they're driving at 80 miles an hour down the wrong side of the road. Just totally oblivious. And they kill people. 
people make mistakes. A thousand other ways. A thousand other ways where people do stupid things and we reap the benefits. And there's, you know, and we don't even have to have that. What about the stupid things you and I have done? And we reap the benefits. Law number two is you reap what you sow. The principle is you reap the same in kind as you sow. Galatians, what Paul says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever man sows, he'll also reap. So whatever you sow, you also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. If you sow to the flesh, the flesh produces corruption. In other words, the flesh produces deterioration. The flesh produces death. I mean... I mean, have, haven't you seen the before and after pictures of people of just, just beautiful young ladies, beautiful young men that before they got on drugs? And this just destroy, it destroys their face and just, it, just, it, it just destroys them. Not physically, it destroys them physically and it destroys them mentally, psychologically. It's destructive. It's deterioration. It's death. There's so many things that seem innocent in the beginning. But in the repetition, they're deadly. How many people in just trying to get over some trauma in their physical body, a back surgery or a soldier, soldier shoulder surgery, and they, you know, they start taking some pain pills, and before you know it, they're addicted to pain meds. This happens to good, good people who get caught in the web. He said, so you have to be careful. You're going to reap what you sow. You have to be careful. If you sow to the flesh, the flesh produces corruption. It's because you reap what you sow. Here's the good news. You reap what you sow. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. Plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with the seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and the trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. You always get the same kind that you plant. So you need to be careful what you plant. <laughs> because you reap. In kind as you sow. If you reap to the spirit, you'll reap from the spirit life. If you reap to the flesh, you'll reap from the flesh, death, and deterioration. Well, number three, we reap in a different season than we sow. And this is the hard part. This is what gets us, is that the harvest never comes immediately after planting. James 5, 7. See how the farmer waits expectantly for the precious harvest from the land See how he keeps up his patient vigil over it until it receives the early and the late rain. So a farmer, a farmer has to have great faith because they take, in essence, they take, they take the livelihood from the previous year and they put it in the ground, believing that it's going to produce a harvest. Well, they've seen the harvest. So because they've seen harvest, they've also seen years where nothing happened, where there was drought and it all died. So they have to take it in faith. They have to take it and they put it in the ground, believing that there's going to be a harvest. 
So the negative aspect of that, this is that because the sentence against an evil deed, Ecclesiastes 8.11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. It's the deceitfulness of sin. Because I didn't get caught this time, because there weren't bad repercussions for my actions, I can do do what I want and I'll get away with it. So I don't get caught. So if I don't get caught, it's easier to continue because there no, doesn't seem to be any consequences. One of the things I always prayed for my kids, this is scary when you pray this, but I always prayed for my kids to get caught. And they did. <laughs> they got caught. Because here's the one of the things. If you get caught, it's a motivation to quit. It's better to get caught early on than to be in a long time in the process. So that's the deceitfulness of sin. As you do something and get away with it, then you do more of it because you think I'm going to be able to continue to get away with this. It's the deceitfulness of sin. See, if I I don't experience the bad repercussions right now, but we we seldom do, you, you... You sow, and then you have to wait for the harvest. Sin pays wages. Those wages, the wages of sin are always death. They don't don't always come tomorrow at 3 o'clock, but the harvest always comes in. And if if you continue to sin, the harvest is coming. The way out is grace. The way out is through mercy. The best thing to do with sin is to repent doesn't mean that the repercussions will go away, but here's what I have discovered. God is merciful. God has helped me. I'm sure he's helped you after I've done some stupid things. I've done some stupid things with money. Nobody's going to say amen to that? Just me? I bought stuff I shouldn't bought. I shouldn't have bought. And then you know, it's easy to buy stuff, but then those payments is the start working on you, right? Yeah. And and a lot and a lot of times when I went to the Lord in humility and said, "Oh God, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't listen to hear the word of the Lord if it was God's will or not because I wanted it, so I got it anyway." Just me. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to preach to just me, but, but uh, I wanted it, so I got it anyway, but then the repercussions, I really couldn't afford it. And so I had to humble myself before God and say, God, I messed up. And I still had to make payments on it. I still had to work at paying for it, but God helped me escape. God helped me work through <laughs> He made an escape. It wasn't easy. It wasn't cost less. It wasn't that it didn't cost that he said, okay, I'll just make it go away. No, I still, I still had to work really hard to stay on top of those payments until I was able to get rid of it, get out from under it. God helped me. He was merciful to me. He helped me through stupidity. God will help you through stupidity. Stupidity. 
but he won't make, that's not to say that God will help, you know, help you. God will forgive you immediately. Say, God, I messed up. I should have come to you and I messed up. Oh, God, forgive me. He says, okay. But it doesn't make it go away. Right? I mean, you can have sex with somebody and they get pregnant and you can say, God, I messed up. Forgive me. You're forgiven. They're still pregnant. So we, we, God is gracious. He's merciful. So the best thing to do is as soon as you recognize that you've sinned, repent and turn from it. Because the wages of sin is death. You're, the, the more sin you do, the more you're inviting more death into your life. So by repenting and turning from it, you're in, in this, instead of re- inviting death, you're inviting life. The positive aspect of this law is that at the proper time, we reap a harvest of the good. At the proper time. Let us not lose heart and grow weary and faint in acting nobly and doing right. For in due time and at the appointed season, we shall reap if we don't loosen and relax our courage and faint. In other words, to see the harvest, you have to persevere. To see a harvest of good, you have to see it through to the end. Even when we don't see a harvest coming or feel that the harvest is coming or feel like doing the right thing, there is a harvest coming. James 5, 7 says, see how the farmer waits expectantly for the precious harvest from the land. See how he keeps his patient vigil over it until it receives the early and late rains. The farmer plants and then he waits for the harvest. When a farmer's waiting for the harvest, does that mean he does nothing? No, he, he, didn't, he doesn't just plant one day, go and park his tractor and go to Hawaii for a couple of months and then come back and harvest. The waiting looks a lot like work because as he's waiting, he's getting rid of weeds He's dealing with the things that are trying to invade the plant. So he's, he knows there's a harvest coming, even though there are weeds now. See, he didn't have to plant weeds. You don't have to plant weeds. They're going to show up. I, there's probably nothing that is a greater nemesis to my wife than weeds in the flower bed. You can dig them up. You can round them up. They still come back. Kind of like fire ants. You just kill them here and they move here. Kill them here and they move here. You see those little U-Haul trucks always parked outside. (laughs) In other words, you don't have to, but but he's working. He's going to continue to work to deal with the things that would choke out the harvest, the weeds that would outgrow the harvest. <clears throat> I'm, not a, I'm not a good gardener. I'm lousy at gardening. How many of y'all like to garden? Anybody here like, really like to garden? 
I'm a lousy gardener. You know I'm a lousy gardener? Because I'm a lousy weeder. Because you just can't. I'm, a good, I'm good at planting stuff. But, but to go out there every day, because it's every day, you got to go out there and just do a little bit. And, and I get distracted. And you go out there, and all of a sudden, you got more weeds than you got whatever it was you planted. Only okra will win. <laughs> okra will outgrow everything. So you have to work. Even when he can't see anything happening, he knows there's a harvest coming, a good harvest because he's planted good seed. He, as he waits, he's getting rid of the weeds. As he waits, he's getting rid of the bugs. There's bugs. There's, there's things going to show up that are going to try to devour his plants. The weeds are in the way. The bugs are actually working on the harvest. There's things that will come into your life that are going to want to interfere with the harvest. Want to interfere with you being fruitful in your life. Want to interfere with you using wisdom in your life. So you, you know, you got to get rid of the bugs. You got to deal with that. The farmer had to deal with that. He doesn't quit. He doesn't quit because there's weeds and bugs and disease and difficulty. He he deals with it. He does everything he can, and he puts his trust in God. And that's how we have to work. We have to do everything. I mean, we have to do everything we can and put our trust in God. I mean, you can't just sit at home and say, well, I'm trusting God. You'll be broke. Because God's going to teach you a lesson about not working. What do you have to do? You have to go to work. A lot of, most days when the alarm clock goes off, do you go, oh, boy. Oh boy, I can't wait. Right? You just do it. Because you have to. It's, it's part of the process. You have to work. It's called work. So you get up and you go to work. You're, you're working through the process. And you, and to, you want to see a harvest? You, 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 you got to do that. You can't just say, I'm just going to just trust God. You, you, gotta, you have to do the work. The farmer is waiting for the rain. He's waiting for the early and latter rains. Early rains get the seed going. The latter rains get the plants fruitful. When it rains, it looks gloomy and dreary outside. We, we all know what we've seen a lot of that, right? Sometimes rain can be beneficial and damaging. You can get enough to be beneficial and too much, it's damaging. And rain doesn't hardly ever know which one's right. When it rains, it gets muddy, it gets messy. But you got to have it for the harvest. Sometimes you want to quit because it gets gloomy and rainy and muddy and messy. It looks like all you'll ever have is, it just looks like that's all you're going to have. It's never going to work out. It says, but when do you get the harvest? When you persevere to the end. You don't get the harvest if you quit. What if, you, what if you quit one day before the harvest? You don't get the harvest. What if the farmer in frustration says, I'm just tired of all this. I've spent too much money. I don't want to do this anymore. And he walks off the farm a day before the harvest. He missed the, misses the harvest because you have to persevere to the end to get the harvest. And that's part of how the harvest works in our life is that we have to keep 
trusting God, and we have to keep doing what we can do. Now, this is not salvation. This is not you got to work to get saved. This is about how you have to be fruitful in your life. In God's time, at the right time, at the proper time, there's a harvest. So, now some of you are sitting here maybe thinking, good, there's a harvest coming. I've been faithful. And there's a harvest coming. And some of you might be thinking, oh no, there's a harvest coming. And I, there's going to be a price to pay. We trust God to take our little bit and multiply it for the kingdom. To be faithful with what we've got and for God to use that. And then we trust God that if we come to him in humility that he's going to help us. Doesn't mean that the, the problem's going to go away. But I want to tell you, there's no better place that when you've made a mess by your own selfishness or your own desires and you've created a problem in your life, the best thing to do is to turn to God and invite him into your problem and say, God, I've really messed this up. I really got my focus off of you. I got my focus on the things that I wanted. I got my focus on my desires. I got my focus on the wrong things. I didn't have my eyes on you. I've really messed this up. I've, I've looked the wrong direction. And Lord, I need your help. And just in the midst of that, invite Jesus in the, in the middle of your mess. And you'll find, not that it's going to go away, not that it's going to all of a sudden, poof, because if he did that, you know what would happen? You'd jump right back into another one. Because you'd think, all i got to do is pray and poof, it's going to go away. He's not going to do that. It's going to be painful enough. <laughs> There's going to be enough misery in it that you'll think, ooh, ooh, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to do that stupid thing again. The Lord helped me out of this last one. I don't want to get into it again. But you'll find it's better to have Jesus with you in the mess. Because he will be with you. He doesn't forsake you just because it was you being stupid. I think that's good news. Amen. Let's stand. We've got to quit. Some of you, I, you maybe feel like you're at a quitting place. You want to quit. But the farmer has to persevere to the end. There are seasons of planting and there are seasons of harvest. So we have to wait till the end. And some of you are at a place where you're in the middle of a mess and you need God's help. There's some things you need to say, God, I messed up. In my own selfishness, I jumped into this. My own desires, I didn't listen to you. And now I'm in the middle of a mess and I need help. And Lord, I invite you into my mess. Father, we just come to you today. We pray, Lord, you'd help us to persevere to the end. Help us not quit too soon. Lord, you've called us to persevere until there's a harvest. In that season, Lord, if we knew the season, 
but we don't know when the season is. We're going to trust you for the times and the seasons. And Lord, for the, the messes that we've made, the mistakes we've made, we've all made them. Lord, I, I just invite you into my mistakes. I invite you into my mess, I, I, into my impatience, into my selfishness, into me doing it my way. Lord, I ask you to help me lay down my way and take up your way. Lord, I need mercy and grace for my failures. And I need your presence with me as you help me work through what I've gotten myself into. In Jesus' name, amen.